This is episode number 311 with smart cities expert Daniel Obodowski. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode of the Super Data Science Podcast is brought to you by our very own Data Science Insider. The Data Science Insider is a weekly newsletter for data scientists, which is designed specifically to help you find out what have been the latest updates and what is the most important news in the space of data science, artificial intelligence, and other technologies. It is completely free and you can sign up at superdatascience.com DSI. And the way this works is that every week there's plenty of updates and seemingly important information coming out in the world of technology. But at the same time, it is virtually impossible for a single person on a weekly basis to go through all of this and find out what is actually really relevant to a career of a data scientist and what is actually very important. And that's why our team curates the top five updates of the week puts them into an email and sends it to you. So once you sign up for the Data Science Insider, every single Friday, you will receive this email in your inbox. It doesn't spam your inbox, it just arrives and it has the top five updates with brief descriptions. And that's what I like the most about it, the descriptions. So you don't actually even have to read every single article. So our team has already read these articles for you and put the summaries into the email. So you can simply just read the updates in the email and be up to speed in a matter of seconds. And if you like a certain article, you can click on it and read into it further. And so whether you want great ideas that can be used to boost your next project or you're just curious about the latest news in technology, the Data Science Insider is perfect for you. So once again, you can sign up at www.superdatascience.com slash DSI. So make sure not to miss this opportunity and sign up for the Data Science Insider today. And that way you will join the rest of our community and start receiving the most important technology updates relevant to your career already this week. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. I've wanted to record an episode about smart cities for a while, and I was looking for a great guest on the topic. Actually, for a couple of years, I've been waiting for the right opportunity to record an episode about smart cities, and lo and behold, the opportunity came along. A couple of weeks ago, I met Daniel in San Diego. It was a, an absolutely random coincidence. Our Data Science Go team and I, we were uh, working on, like reviewing how well Data Science Go went and planning the strategy for next year at Downtown Works, which is a co-working space in San Diego, and Daniel was there. And it just so happens that he's involved with the management of that space. And we got to chatting and I was super excited. I knew right away that I had to bring him on the show to share his insights with you. So here's a bit of information about Daniel. Daniel is the co-founder and managing partner of Scale San Diego, um, a company which is dedicated to helping 
San Diego become a smart city. Daniel is also the CEO of The Silent Intelligence, a boutique professional services firm focused on helping digital transformation in enterprises. And here are some of the topics that you will hear about in today's episode. Uh, we talked about supply chain versus removal chain, hackathons, their advantages and disadvantages, kinds of data you can expect in cities, uh, computer vision for road conditions, okay, a case study that came out of Scale San Diego, analog problems versus digital solutions and why they don't fit, what kind of skill set is most important to working on smart cities. Cities versus corporations, how smart cities are different to the technology needs of corporations, how they're similar and how they're different. A case study about food donors and those who have food insecurities who need food. That's another case study that came out of Scale San Diego. A, the concept of a startup in residence, digital twins for cities, privacy, and much, much more. This podcast is packed with value. My page for notes while I was recording this podcast is completely filled. There's no more space there. So I'm 100% sure that by the end of this session, you will know everything you need to know about smart cities and you'll be ready to either dive into this space if you're up for it or to have very informed conversations on the topic. So without further ado, I bring to you smart cities expert, Daniel Abadovsky. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super pumped to have you back here on the show because I've got a very special guest calling in from San Diego, Daniel Obadowski. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you going? Thanks, Kirill. Doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm very pumped about this. Um, I watched uh, your uh, presentation on smart cities at the Smart City Summit. So I watched the recording just, just today and yesterday. Very pumped about the things we'll talk about. But before we do that, how did we meet? For I always love diving into these stories. They're always so random. How, tell, if you don't mind sharing with our audience, how did we uh, meet with you? I think uh, somebody introduced us, right? Was it uh, Candace who introduced us at Dottown Works yes. in San Diego? Yes. Yeah, I think uh, Candace walked up to me and said, there's, the, there's a Russian guy who is uh, a part of the uh, Data Science Go, mm -hmm. uh, who we partnered with in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, she loves to do stuff like that. And uh, that's, I think, she then walked and introduced us to each other. And then we started speaking Russian. And then, yeah, yeah it turned out we, we lived in the same city for a while, which is Moscow. And, yeah, yeah so I <clears throat> uh, was excited to learn about the uh, your data science project and uh, the things that you've been doing. It's uh, it's really, really cool. I really think you've, uh, uh, you've done an amazing job. Thank you, thank you, and uh, I can only say absolutely the same thing about you. Uh, from the things I've heard, everything has been fantastic so far. And, and what I love about the story is interesting because you, your company, uh, um, uh, Scale SD, was a, a industry, not industry, um, community partner for our event, Data Science Go, and we hadn't met each other yet, so the event had already passed. And then, like a few days later in San Diego, we catch up. We're like, oh, actually, our companies work together. It was so such an yep. interesting coincidence. Totally, yeah. totally. Okay, well, Daniel, so you are—I don't even know where to get started. You're like in in the space of smart cities, but you do so many different things. Maybe to get us up to speed, give us a bit about your background. Like, who is Daniel Abadovsky? 
Um, all right. Well, uh, currently I'm the CEO of the Silent Intelligence, which is a professional services sorry, consulting company uh, focused on um, helping industrial companies better understand their data and apply their data towards operational efficiency and new revenue opportunities. And I'm also managing partner of Scale San Diego. Uh, and Scale stands for Smart Cities Accelerator Labs and Environment. And here we're uh, focused on somewhat similar things to the silent intelligence, which is ultimately uh, solving urban challenges using data and technology. Um, a little bit about my background. Uh, as you know, Kirill, I was uh, born and raised in uh, what used to be the Soviet Union or uh, Russia now. Um, and um, right at the time of the Berlin Wall falling down, I moved to Berlin and lived in Berlin for, for almost 10 years in, in total and um, where I had an import-export company uh, doing business with uh, selling cellular technology, cell phones to Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and that was back in the 90s. Um, then I got my MBA and um, uh, worked with uh, various companies, management consulting companies in, in Germany and uh, with European telcos, uh, worked with Motorola. Um, and then in early 2000, 2004 actually, I moved to San Diego to join Qualcomm mm -hmm. and stayed with Qualcomm for almost nine years, um, uh, mostly um, launching different connected products which prompted my interest to the Internet of Things as an emerging trend. So then, uh, with a buddy of mine from San Francisco, <clears throat> we wrote a book about the, uh, the Internet of Things called The Silent Intelligence, um, and got so excited that I ended up leaving Qualcomm and just focusing completely on getting that off the ground and, and helping other companies with their Internet of Things strategy. Um, and uh, that one thing led to another, um, kind of realized that the um, the Internet of Things is, was a means to an end. You know, like, um, have you watched a TV show whole, uh, called uh, Hold and Catch Fire? No, I haven't seen that one. It's a really, really cool one. I highly recommend it. It's about the dawn of personal computing in America. It's a really, really cool show. Um, and it was actually, originally was recommended by Mark Andreessen. That's how I got hooked. And then and I watched it and I was telling everybody. So in that show, there's one of the main characters when he's like researching the personal computer space and it's like in the late 80s, early 90s, saying the personal computers are not the thing. They're the thing to get you to the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the same journey I had with the Internet of Things. I looked at the Internet of Things and all the sensors and networks and what, and thought this is not the thing. Mm -hmm. It's the thing to get you to the thing. And then the question was, what is the thing? What is the, the thing? thing? Is And is it data? Mm -hmm. Not really. Mm -hmm. Because the data is only as good as you can do something about it. You can make better decisions. So at the end of the day, it all came down to what problems are we trying to solve? Mm -hmm. um, are there problems around, if it's in the city, is it making better transportation or better parking? Or maybe solving homelessness? Or maybe addressing, uh, you know, digitization of records or whatnot, 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 or in the industrial space is like how achieving the operational efficiency. And ultimately that leads us to utilizing the data 
and that that kind of gets us how we're going to acquire this data, and that's where something like Internet of Things might come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of it's almost like a full circle circle journey journey starting with hardware and networks, getting to data, and now finally getting to the point where we're looking at solving problems with all those technologies. Okay, and so that's how through acquaintance with Internet of Things you got into smart cities. But why smart cities? Um, smart cities always was kind of an intriguing intriguing topic. And back in uh, in the uh, two thousand eight, gosh, it's almost ten years ago. We did a project <laughs> with MIT. So we're launching launching a connected device. Uh, basically, at the time, there was a very low cost asset tracker. Mm-hmm that could track pretty much anything using GPS and uh, was very low cost, was very small, and had long battery life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guys from MIT Sensible City Lab came to us and said, hey, we want to track trash. <laughs> what? Uh, do you want to donate us like uh, several thousand devices? Mm-hmm. And our first reaction was, this is crazy. Uh, who would want to tr- track trash? And then uh, when I had a discussion with them that said, look, do you know how important is understanding a supply chain? So, oh yeah, there are people spend billions of dollars trying to understand where things are at in the supply chain. Um, what do you think about removal chain? Do you think people would be interested to understand where things go when they're being thrown away? Mm-hmm. And then that kind of triggered all the thinking about the potential, about the sustainability and about importance of knowing where things go. And uh, we, uh, I was a Qualcomm the time we ended up donating uh, several, not only donating us uh, several million, uh, several uh, thousand devices. Uh, we also provided the engineering services and support to to the uh, uh, MIT Sensible City Lab. So that was my foray into the smart cities. And actually, the project ended up being amazing. Uh, uh, the MIT guys ended up doing a TED talk, and uh, they were on BBC, and they got National Science Foundation award for visualizing. Uh, our trash goes using using our technology at the time, and uh, so that kind of was my foray into smart cities. It piqued my interest about how many problems can be addressed uh, by uh, getting access to more data. And then when I was writing the the book, The Silent Intelligence, one of the chapters was kind of dedicated to smart cities, and we interviewed uh, Jonathan Reichenthal, who at the time was the chief innovation officer of City of Palo Alto. Uh, we interviewed also sensible city guys and. Uh, uh, at MIT and interviewed a lot of other people to 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 understand and that kind of uh, triggered more and more interest at, at some point in time I was like uh, I'm living in San Diego San Diego is home to my kids my kids were born in San Diego and might as well look at this as a lab as a living lab in our backyard mm. and something that we can do to help instead of complaining that this doesn't work, that doesn't work, we don't have this, we don't have that. And that basically led us to building relationships with the city officials, which, by the way, are great. I mean, there's a great team at at the city of San Diego. And that also led us to uh, expanding those relationships and bringing in in teams to work on different city problems and using technology. Okay, gotcha. Very interesting. I love the the philosophy of looking at the city you live in as a a lab in your backyard where you can try things out and apply some data science. So how long have you been working with the city of San Diego and how is it tracking in the global scheme of things in terms of smart cities around the world? 
Well, so I would say the city of San Diego is pretty advanced. Um, they have uh, have some of the largest implementations of street sensors compared to a lot of other cities. And also, they have a very um, innovative team that's open for experimenting and trying different things, which, again, I think we're, we're lucky that way. So uh, we started in, in 2016, which is, what, three years ago, on um, uh, doing uh, kind of trying with a smart city hackathon and just seeing what, what's going to happen if we, we, we did a big event uh, and invited people to hack using, using real data and solving real problems. Uh, and it was at the time where the uh, open data portal, now almost every city, at least in the U.S., has an open data portal where they post all the data that they digitize, that like open public data. Um, uh, the city of San Diego was just kind of getting ready to launch it. And we got access to a lot of data sets that weren't yet available and they couldn't be accessed in any other way. Um, and we posted all the data, said, okay, if you want to solve some of the problems about around the climate action plan, including traffic and mobility, you can use some of these data sets. Uh, that was a great experience. Um, what we learned, we learned a lot of things about hackathons and basically like what's good about hackathons and what's horrible about hackathons. <laughs> what's good and uh, what's horrible. Uh, the good things about hackathons, it's a great way to um, generate a lot of excitement um, and a lot of publicity about an event. Mm -hmm. Another good thing about you can quickly see uh, interesting teams and who's capable of doing great work under pressure. Um, and um, It's also a way I to bring the community together. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So it's a community building event. It's a great way to identify interesting talent. It's a great way to come up with great ideas. And it's a great way to generate a lot of publicity. And this is, there's a reason why, you know, big companies like Facebook or Walmart and so on and so on, they use hackathons for identifying new product ideas. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, I don't know if it's true, true or not, but somebody was saying that, like, for example, the like button on, on Facebook, which for those who remember when Facebook first launched, they didn't have a like button. Mm -hmm. So the like button on Facebook was developed in an internal hackathon. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so the point is um, a, lo a lot of companies are using that for, for internal product development. What hackathons are absolutely not good at are producing real solutions. There's just not enough time uh, to produce something, something real. So you can only come up with a very, very raw idea, a very raw prototype that will take months to turn into something something real um and there's a very little continuity in, in traditional hackathons so you do a hackathon everybody gets excited people get awarded people shake hands and nothing happens afterwards and that's that's what we realized that we had to fix and that led us to creation of scale so six months later later we we started scale san diego mm -hmm. great so uh you founded uh, this company and how so that was like the idea i guess to or the, the vehicle to take these ideas that hackathons generate further down and turn them into a products. But before we go into some examples of that, I wanted to ask you, what types of data do cities actually have? You mentioned Internet of Things, sensor data, um, digitization of content or like um, documents and things like that. Can you name a few types or categories of data that one could expect to a city to have? 
Well, I would say actually that the time series like the IoT type or Internet of Things, like time series data is a minority, is absolute minority. Uh, what you're going to see a lot in the cities would be things like permits, would be blueprints, would be some financial reporting information, uh, would be all different types of records. Um, uh, certain like value of certain buildings, uh, permits that have been issued for, for certain areas, uh, this type of, that's, that's where you have a lot of data like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so more static form data, uh, static form data, but nonetheless can be very, very useful because if you can build a history of, uh, uh value of a particular property, industrial property, or it's, uh, um, maybe, uh, like an industrial area or different permits that have been issued over time, there's there's some really, really interesting stuff that you can uncover uh, in the process. Mm. Um, and uh, there's also, when you're looking at the, like a lot of public records and stuff, you, you really have to uh, think about what problem does this record solving? Is it for real estate firms or is it for insurance firms or is it just for citizens or is it for, for, for anybody else? Uh, so I think it's it's important to think about data in, in broader terms, not just sensor data, you know, temperature or whatnot, you know, humidity or 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 location and Traffic. so on. This is all this is all very important stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, you need to think a lot broader in terms of like all kinds of data. And then of course, um, slowly but surely, you start getting unstructured data, uh, audio, video. Um, although there are of course a lot of privacy concerns. Mm -hmm. And I guess the more sensors you implement, the more that, the flow of that data increases. I, I really like your analogy of water in the basement, that uh, you, you have water in the basement, you put a pump, you pump it out, and then all of a sudden now you have, imagine you have water coming in through the windows, now you take a bucket and you push it out, now you have even more water coming in. That's, that's kind of like, I, as I understood from your analogies, that that's how it feels working with data in a smart city, in a city that's becoming smarter and smarter. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Kirill, that when I was making that statement, I was primarily thinking about cities, and then we started meeting with a lot of corporations, mm. and they said, actually feels exactly the same. Uh, we, we're living at times where most, not just the cities, but a lot of companies have more data than they know what to do with. Mm -hmm. um, and some have 10, 20 years worth of data sitting in their databases, and they really don't understand what to do. So I think that that kind of brings us to to an interesting point of um, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. uh, what type of skill sets would you need, and how how do you actually um, how you help making this data useful? And what what do you do with all with all this data? And what are some of the different tools to to utilize this data? Um, uh, because they, for example, what, what cities did, and they started posting this data on on, on uh, open data portals with a with a hope that you know some people will go there and you know start building stuff, and this hasn't happened mm. because uh, as 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 you know I'm I'm sure a lot of your listeners also know with data it's not just the data itself it's also uh, quality of data quality of metadata and data do documentation that can make or break your opportunity to use it if there's a bunch of data sets but you have no idea what these data sets represent that's not going to help you much. And unfortunately, that's that's something that we face very, very often with cities, and not just cities, also in the industry, that there's data, but it has such an insufficient documentation. I mean, some people know what it is, 
but if you just post it, people are going to struggle to to make heads and tails of it. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And, and it's also about priorities. I like what you said in your talk. Another thing you mentioned is that a lot of cities have the same challenges, but priorities are different. Can you talk, talk a bit about that, please? Sure. Uh, you know, so cities are different because as, as cities are um, run, uh, I would say the cities are led by elected officials, uh, officials and they're run by, uh, run by uh, essentially bureaucrats, right, by, by the uh, hired people who are hired. But the, the elected officials are elected based on certain issues uh, that they believe are important, right? And that, that they convince the, uh, either they convince the communities that those issues are important or they manage to strike a chord with the communities or say, yeah, 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 those are the very important issues. That's why we're going to elect you because you get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you offer something to do about this. And for different communities or for different cities, those issue can, issues can be very, very different. Everybody deals with climate change. Uh, in America, most cities deal with homelessness. Everybody uh, deals with traffic congestion. Everybody deals with, uh, uh, I mean, there's a ton of other things we can think of, right? I mean, parking issues and, 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 and so on and so on, or like public safety, crime. But in different cities and communities, uh, you know, these issues are more or less important, right? If you had uh, a lot of wildfires, like in Southern California, then environmental issues are going to be very important because people will be like losing their properties. How do they protect themselves from wildfires or hurricanes or stuff like this? In other cities, uh, is like uh, crime. Like you know, I would I would imagine Chicago is probably you know would be high on on, on that scale. While a city of San Diego is actually a pretty safe city um, uh, um, compared compared to a lot of others. Uh, there's not a lot of crime there. So when when you're offering solutions to a city or to a municipality or to actually to a region, understanding those priorities is, is very, very important because very often we hear from corporations saying, hey, we were offering them a great uh, public safety solution and they just said they didn't have any budget. What, what was really is that it wasn't that particular solution that they were offering wasn't high on the priority list. It was uh, had less to do with the budget. It had more to do with that it wasn't uh, wasn't a high priority, but something else was a very high priority. And um, like I'll give you an example. In, in, in the city of San Diego, um, uh, road conditions is uh, is a very important one of the top issues uh, 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 for the mayor. So when one of the companies that emerged from our program, uh, Road Reader, that developed a computer vision solution for uh, uh, for detecting cracks uh, on the road, and not just detecting cracks, but also um, um, align them or sync them with the way that cities evaluate road conditions, that immediately got everybody's attention. Um, and now they're gearing up, uh, doing doing trial with the city, although they, they they just started like literally like six six or seven months ago. Um, so it all depends on how high is what what you're offering on on the priority. And uh, I think that's that's very important for uh, for companies and also for for people to understand. Fantastic, love that example, and hopefully that goes well as a great testament to how technology can really improve cities to be smarter. And uh, in this particular case, road conditions. I wanted to ask you, what did you mean when you said analog problems 
this was in your talk, analog, analog problems don't conform to digital solutions. Yes, so that's um, that's something I've been thinking about for, for some time, and that is um, uh, what actually with, with the cities, it's, it's the most apparent. It, it's also applicable for, for companies, but with cities, is, is most apparent. Um, as somebody who used to work at the, as a large high-tech corporation and kind of seen the world through the lens of a high-tech corporation, which most technology corporations, no matter what they say, they develop technologies and then they think about what problems they're going to solve with them. Uh, they develop a lot of technologies. Some technologies don't go anywhere. Others are developing very, very fast. I mean, even if you think about uh, the cellular networks like 2G, 3G, 4G, now we have 5G networks. Every single time that networks were developed and deployed, people have very, very vague understanding how people are going to be using it. It's just so happened that all other variables were there and the uh, the phones were developed and they had the capacities and the operating system and developer communities and everything else and everything else so that we're totally utilizing those networks and, and even more, even demanding more. But let me go back to the, the original question. So the, the way technology companies think is we can basically solve everything but technology and we can uh, add more sensors and if we add more networks, and if we do this and this and that, uh, that's that's going to make things better and, and, and so on and so on and so on. But if you're on the other side of the equation and if you're like working for a city, what you're seeing every day is not sensors and networks. You see homeless people on the streets who don't have a place to go. You see a huge congestion and people cannot get from point A to point B and spending hours in traffic. You see people looking for parking. You see a lot of complaints with that. You see people go into the DMV, which is Department of Motor Vehicles, and spending like hours there in line. So that's what we call analog problems. And if you look at every one of them, it's not obvious how you can solve it with a 5G or how you can solve it with more sensors. And, and like, remember, we were just talking a minute ago about how everybody's drowning in data. So, okay, so the city employees are drowning in data, right? And then there is a technology company that comes in and says, hey, we're going to install this machine learning platform and we're going to you know, put this network. And, and the guys at the city goes, all right, so you're going to take all that, that amount of data that I already don't know what to do with and you're going to multiply it a thousand times. Thank you very much. You know, and it actually doesn't solve any of their problems. It's just generating more problems for them because all it does, it just creates more data. And they already don't know what to do with the data that they have. So that's what we call the gap between um, analog problems and digital solutions. Gotcha. So somebody has to wrap their head around those analog problems and take a traffic, for example, or parking or whatnot, and break it down into parts that can be improved by technology. And then bring them all back together. Because just by adding a parking meter, connecting the parking meter to the cloud, you haven't really solved the parking problem. You just added parking meter to the cloud. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of the whole situation back in around 2015 when there was this hype about Hadoop and uh, data lakes and every company, like every CEO and their dog were installing data lakes for like tens of millions of dollars in their company. 
not knowing what then to do with it like it took it took years to roll out two three years or you know if it's not on premise in the cloud maybe a bit faster but still they're like oh we'll put a data lake in we'll have all our data swimming around in that data lake uh and they didn't know what to do with it and just in the end just turns into these <laughs> what proverbially is now called a data swamp yes that's that's a, that's that's a great example i think we, we have similar things happening right now with um um, you know, kind of a, a machine learning and artificial intelligence, mm, mm. and I think uh, that's why what 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 you do and and your company does is so important by educating people and and giving them the right skills and uh, lo- looking at the problems because today just going um, and just going and hiring a lot of data scientists doesn't really solve the problem. It's kind of exactly like what you were describing with, 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 with data lakes. Um, data scientists is a very, very important skill set, but needs to be applied accordingly. Um, and if a lot of data scientists are just thrown at the problem, uh, that's very, very vague and very badly defined and very, very ambiguous, uh, they're going to fail. They're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Totally, totally agree with you. And speaking of skill sets, what would you say are the necessary skill sets? Is there anything unique about the skill set a data scientist must possess in order to help a smart city as opposed to work in the industry, work uh, for a corporation? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, it's interesting. So um, UCSD just has a recently formed um, um, Siogla Data mm, Science Institute. Yeah, HDSI. I was there like two weeks ago yeah. on the tour. It's really cool. Yeah, they're really, they're, they're great. they have amazing people there, and both the faculty and, and the students. And uh, one of the classes led by um, Brad Voitek. Mm, the first data scientist which, at Uber. He was on this podcast a few, like a few months ago. Yes, Brad, Brad, Brad is amazing awesome. Amazing guy. And uh, so Brad um, actually teaches, it's not a purely data science. So Brad's background is also a cognitive scientist. Mm. Uh, he does research. Brains yeah, yeah. And he was a neuroscientist or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So he's a, a very versatile and very well-educated person. And <clears throat> so he teaches his class, not just from a standpoint of building algorithms, but from the standpoint of solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's very very important skill set, and it's it cannot be, I would say, emphasized enough. Of how do you so it it goes like beyond data science, it go more into data analytics, mm-hmm. right, and data analysis. So or there's not not just data analysis, like business analysis and data analysis, like how do you think about a process, and how do you think um, how do you digest uh, something very, very vague like parking or traffic and start zooming in on what things you can solve? I mean, uh, I'll g- give, you, give you an example. You know, um, another team that emerged from our program is uh, um, Fresh Start. Uh, they looked at the issue of food insecurity. Mm-hmm. And food insecurity is another one of those like audacious kind of, uh, you know, hard to understand problems. Like, how do you solve it? What's the problem of food insecurity? Is it behavioral? 
Is it, you know, is it logistical? But so they just zoomed on the logistical part. They went and made sure they talked to all the people and the food banks and so on. So they zoomed in on the logistical part. And what they realized that there's a lot of uh, food donors, uh, restaurants and hotels that have excess food that they don't know what to do with. I mean, they would just um, throw, uh, throw it away. Um, and they would love to donate it. Uh, the problem is what today when they call a food bank and say, hey, can you come pick up the food? We have a food to donate. They go, yeah, we would love to, but it have to be in two days or maybe in a week. Mm. And by that time, it's already too late. The food's going to spoil. So um, what what they did, they basically built a platform and, and, and uh, they integrated with Grubhub and Instacart and, and Postmates APIs. Mm-hmm. And they figure it out if they will automatically schedule a pickup, those guys will go pick up. And instead of going to the food bank, they'll just de- deliver it to those who, who need this uh, food the most. So it's kind of an on-demand, demand supply matching solution. Um, that if you think about it, is not super crazy high tech, but it actually solves a very big problem. And uh, it also generates the tax receipts for whoever makes the donation so they immediately know how much tax credits they can receive. Um, so this type of a skill set is very, very critical because then you can actually, once you figure out the problem that you're solving, then you can put the, uh, the people who can write the algorithms. Mm-hmm. Very interesting example. So it's not about just being very good at AI or machine learning. It's rather identifying the problems and seeing coming up with like solutions or the steps or i don't know like the framework in this case all right we have a problem that the food bank is not accepting food for a certain period of time let's create a solution it's kind of like a skill set to come up with ideas for solutions and not a it's it's a very interesting indeed data scientists need that skill in general to create uh, algorithms create uh, models and so on but it sounds like here in smart cities the predominant weight goes on that skill as opposed to the artificial intelligence or the coding skills well I would think that the same thing is applicable to corporations and we worked with a lot of corporations on the selling intelligence side and that's I mean that's very very similar I think maybe uh, uh, the difference uh, with the cities is with cities, you, you're going to find a lot of antiquated data. Like, do you know what a an aperture card is? No. An aperture card is a punch card with an image mm-hmm. uh, or with actually a micro image. And I didn't know what they were until I saw one myself a few months ago. And where basically uh, the, this micro image could be like a blueprint. And the punch card acts like um, metadata. Mm-hmm. So this thing is from 1960s mm-hmm. or like 70s. And believe it or not, cities have millions of those. So a lot, a lot of old like blueprints and stuff is sitting on those. Now imagine, imagine if you're getting like a request for some of those old blueprints, and you have to dig, you know, go through like a machine reading all those punch cards. It's crazy, mm-hmm. right? So this all needs to move to the 21st century, but somebody has to do it, right? And somebody needs to help them move, move all those 
old old stuff and the way this data was kept to 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 a data lake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or something that you can easily access data and and do different different interesting stuff with it. Um, so I think one like one thing is that you're going to face a lot of antiquated you know tools and data and stuff. Um, another thing is obviously like we talked before, understanding the the priorities. Uh, of a particular city and so on is very important. Um, I think a city will have, might have, a lot more uh, different stakeholders than a typical corporation would. And um, I think probably some of the biggest differences is corporations are driven by monetary value, while cities not necessarily always driven by monetary value. Uh, cities are definitely driven by efficiency, by efficiencies, but they're also driven by creating value for citizens, businesses, and other constituencies. So this is something to consider. Mm. I would also uh, totally agree with all that. I would also add that cities are uh, highly dependent on communities. You you need to keep that in mind as well when you're creating. So even if it might not be efficient, it might not be profitable and so on, but if it's good for the community, then that's what what, what needs to happen. Yes, for absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How do these projects get funded? Um, like not always or just does a city always have enough money to invest into a uh, project like a data science data analytics project even in the cases where it might not be a profitable project but might be just good for the community, good for uh, efficiency of the city? Well, cities definitely so the thing about cities um, is, not, is not that cities don't have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem today with cities is they're not very efficient with their mm-hmm. money and they uh, do a lot of things. Um, the problem with, with a lot of cities today is that the procurement process is broken mm-hmm. and it needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. It takes a very, very long time and, and I surely understand why it was designed the way it is uh, at a time, it made sense, but it doesn't make sense anymore because very often when they go into the pro- procurement and they, you know, procure a software solution, um, uh, it takes a long time. And by the time they finished procuring it, and actually it's time to implement the problem that we're trying to solve already cha- changed. The process already changed. And we see it all the time when, you know, cities uh, spend maybe three or five million dollars or more. On something and then they realize it doesn't do what it was supposed to do and they go back to the city council and say hey sorry it doesn't work can we can we have more money <laughs> and so on right and so this this is something that needs to change so to, to to your question there is money it's just things will the way this money is spent needs to change and I think it's starting to change because a lot of cities are already realizing that's a problem and it needs to be addressed. Um, instead of uh, spending money on huge projects up front, it's better to go incremental and make sure that whatever technologies they're implementing, they're solving a problem. I think it would make a lot more sense to bring something and <coughs> do a project for a 50 grand or 100 grand, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do, and then scale it from there. Um, especially with the way technology is evolving and the, the, the way that we're understanding the problem. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so the money is there. 
uh, it just needs to be looked at a little bit differently. Do you run into those procurement issues and how do you go about them at ScaleSD? Well, uh, I wish I had a simple answer to that. We're still like working through it and figuring a lot of things out, and you know, ultimately, I think we will. I think there's uh, there's some good, you know, positive developments. There's this thing that called uh, startup in residence that you might have heard of mm-hmm. that came out of San Francisco. I think this model is still being kind of tested and and figuring out. But the the idea behind startup in residence is if you're building a if you're creating a startup that's sol- solving an important um, problem for the city that's one of the top priorities you can have an accelerated procurement um, I think there are, there are many other ways to address it and those are some of the things that, that we're working on and I think considering that everybody is aware of this issue I think we're going to have some we're going to see some changes in the next couple mm-hmm. of years Gotcha. Um, in your talk you also mentioned that infrastructure projects are going to be the main focus for smart cities can you expand a bit on that, please? Well, so they, they already are. So infrastructure projects uh, involving uh, different types of infrastructure. You know, you see, of course, the road conditions and the bridges and, you know, and the buildings. You also have the water infrastructure. You have utilities infrastructure. You have telecommunications infrastructure, which is like fiber optical cable. And then, of course, all the like 5G uh, networks and cities uh, femtocells and, and so on and so on and so on and so on. Um, so it's, you can, you can think about some of this, like infra- different layers of infrastructure is almost like building to a nervous system of the city. Um, and kind of the, if we fast forward and think like, what's the ultimate, what should the ultimate smart city be? And you think about like, think about a city, like an operating system. Think about your smartphone, and your smartphone has, or you, the operating system on your smartphone has a whole bunch of APIs that allow access, kind of a well-defined access to the accelerometer, to the screen, to the GPS chip, and to you know some other so resources, like a, memory, and, a, so apps, on, and so on. Apps so you on. install on your phone can get access to those parts of your smartphone through the APIs. That's right. That's right. And so, which makes it very easy for developers to, as soon as they identified a need uh, or a problem, they can quickly go and, and write a, an application uh, that addresses that need, that utilizes all those uh, uh, pre-built uh, functionality. Well, think about the same kind of way of looking at the city, where you have certain functionalities that are available to take advantage of, uh, whether it's regarding uh, parking, or uh, you know, street lights, and and maybe other things that others can quickly develop applications that uh, improve traffic, or maybe inter- improve some internal city processes, maybe improve financial reporting, or um, improve permitting, or improve uh, inspections, or improve whatnot, 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 whatnot. Um, so that's ultimately where we need to get to, and there's still a lot of work ahead, but I think. Right now, with the stage where a lot of this infrastructure being being laid out. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that analogy with the smartphone and the APIs. Uh, that would be really cool once we get to to that point. Um, I guess I guess the difference is that you, as a smartphone owner, you choose which app you want to install, whereas the city 
like so every smartphone owner can make their own decisions what they want to install and there's this competitive market of smartphone apps but on the other hand as a city you only get one shot at this you're like all right which one are we going to pick and hence you know the whole uh procurement process and so on do you think something like a virtual city would be beneficial where um people who want to develop these apps can actually go or apps or solutions can actually go and try out how is my you know computer vision for a road conditions going to work or how is my you know this food challenge uh, like connecting food donors with people in need for food who have food insecurity how is that going to work like is is that something that's planned these uh, virtual cities or do you think that might be a good thing to help people develop these products faster oh absolutely we're actually just recently had a uh, a conversation with the head of planning department and we talked about digital twins mm. um, and how uh, having digital twins for city buildings and for city roads and a lot of like actually having like a digital twin for the city would be a great thing for many, many, many different reasons. Um, so I think, I think if I understood you correctly when we we're talking about the virtual city uh, I think that that goes the direction of di digital twin. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So th yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? So you can uh, you can run things and test things on the digital twin and then push them to the uh, the physical equivalent, um, and that can be great for many reasons. For example, you create a simulation for uh, traffic lights, right? How can you guide emergency vehicles through the city? Um, the fastest possible way. Uh, today, the way it works is that it's like 1980s technology. So the fire trucks, they're flashing strobe lights at the traffic lights, and they change to green when they approach, right? And as they're doing that, they're generating a lot of noise by the sirens, which are um, like not very pleasant, to put it mildly. Uh, why are they doing this? Because they've been doing this for uh, like 100 plus years. Before the sirens, there were the bells and stuff, right? But think about like solving this problem uh, using the, using the uh, adaptive lights. And the moment you know that a fire truck is supposed to roll off or an ambulance, you start switching the lights that flush out the traffic and open streets so that a uh, a fire truck can go uh, um, through an open street while everybody else is waiting and try to simulate a couple of scenarios. What do you have like one fire truck and one ambulance? What do you have two ambulances and three fire trucks? What, like, and, and see how that's going to affect the, the traffic. I mean, running scenarios like this on a, uh, on a digital twin would, would make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually heard this, this specific problem. I heard of a city in Spain. I don't know which one. I think it's, uh, oh, there we go. It's in uh, Santander where they actually developed something similar to that. No, not in a digital twin, I think, but it was through uh, these traffic lights. Uh, but I totally get your point. Yeah, digital twins would, um, would kind of like make that analogy even more real with the smartphone where people can actually try things out and the city doesn't have to bet everything on one solution before knowing what the likely outcome of that is going to be. That's right. A quite important question and something that you touched upon uh, during our conversation a bit earlier is privacy. With all these sensors popping up all over the, the world, sometimes, like I know in the UK, um, 
So I know the case, there's at, some, at one of the train stations, at least one of the trains, because I know the person, I know the brother of a person or like, like through one of my connections, I know the guy who's in charge of this uh, whole um, company who's running this company. In when you look at a advertise advertisement, uh, like one of those banners or like those changing um, flashing signs, when you look at it, it's actually counting how many people are walking past, where you, what you're looking at, your, you know, um, what your interest is in, how much time you're spending in, in front of the ad, and, and so on, things like that. So that's just one example of sensors starting to slowly get into the space of maybe invading privacy. What have you seen in the space of smart cities in terms of privacy, and how do, on one hand, the government officials react to that, and how do how does the population react to that? Um, so the one of the biggest problems that we're we're having today is the I would say so the cameras are becoming cheaper and it's very easy to install mm -hmm. right and the capabilities of com cameras are growing exponentially I mean look 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 at all the stuff you can do with your smartphone camera now what's disconcerting is we as citizens not only don't we know what can happen with if somebody starts capturing our video data? We have no control over it, right? And of course, it's not a huge leap um, to think of how some of this data can be used against us with all the best intentions. How can some of this... And, and, and the problem is it's not, not just that somebody has to have ill intentions per se, but it's just we don't understand the capabilities of a lot of machine learning algorithms. I mean, considering that we don't really know what's happening inside some of the um, deep learning, machine learning algorithms, how it identifies certain thing. Like, if we don't know, how, do we, how can we be sure that it's actually going to protect uh, citizens and not discriminate it. So I think the concern is very valid. The thing is, of course, there are a lot of technologies out there for anonymizing. So the moment a camera captures a human face or a license plate, it would immediately like block it and it will never send this data to anywhere, right? The technology is out there. But a, a lot of people don't know what it is. So because they don't know, there's a lot of concern. So I think the the big problem right now is educating public about what it is, what it can do, how it can be used. Because the backlash backlash against cameras in California in general is huge. Because people don't understand what's going to happen with our data and they don't understand and, and they don't have any control over it, right? So, and yet cameras can solve a lot of problems in cities. They can, or like, not cameras per se, but the data from cameras and the, the, the intelligent algorithms can address crime, they can address, they can track economic activities, they can be helpful for retailers and, and, and businesses, they can help address traffic problems, they can, you know, help, um, uh, understand how people use uh, bike paths and, and so on and so on and so on. So there's a huge potential 
um, of using that data. But right now, there's a lot of backlash and confusion, and, and somebody needs to start to explaining what's possible, what can be done, or what should be done. I think right now that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so uh, any any kind of predictions? Where do you think it'll go? Will it become at some point easier, or do you think it'll just be, get harder from here? Well, so for now, a lot of cities just decided not to install cameras, mm -hmm. and because and we kind of looked at it, we started tried to look at the best practice examples, and we couldn't find any, mm -hmm. right? We couldn't find a single city that would say, okay, we figured out how to deal with video data and make sure that everybody feels safe and every same, at the same time don't feel like their privacy is being invaded. Um, we haven't found, we haven't found mm -hmm. those. Uh, not yet. So somebody will figure this out eventually, and I hope that, that the solutions will be fine. They're just not there yet. And that's why we're seeing a lot of backlash against, uh, against cameras. Um, so kind of some of the, um, maybe interim solutions is if you have the cameras that point on the ground, so they're not capturing any faces like for road conditions, for example, right. Or they're capturing on sides of the buildings to capture graffiti information, stuff like this and, 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 and so on. Um, so that's one part. The, the other part is demonstrating the the solutions that actually can help traffic i think i think that, that's actually an interesting point that that i like to make so there's a big problem with uh with understanding of technology by communities right and when a city goes and spends 30 40 whatever million dollars on a new technology whatever that is um and the citizens don't feel any improvement don't feel anything then direction would be okay. You just spent, you know, all, all that money of public money. Why didn't you put it into a school to improve a school or a hospital or something like that? And what needs to happen is we need to tell more stories of successful implementation of the new infrastructure, new technologies, new net networks, new sensors, and so on and so on. Because when people are going to see how it is improving their life on a daily basis the traffic got better, that the parking became better, that there are more bike paths as a result, and there's this and there's this and there's that, then I think there's going to be much more, much better um, interest and in embracing of technology. Very, very interesting, very interesting. Um, I thought, totally agree. It's same in corporations, right? Like when you go in and you do some data science projects, uh, you help people... Um, or if a company company is established a data science department, they help different divisions. If you have, you make so much more of a difference if you come back and you then present and you explain what kind of difference you made and how you help uh, those people in that department. You you instantly beat build advocates for the data science and technology uh, parts of um, the work. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Very interesting how I'm glad we went through how corporations and cities are similar and how they're different at the same time. Another thing I wanted to ask you, like you said, you compared a, you know, look at, you looked at different uh, examples for this specific video problem, uh, camera problem. By the way, it almost feels like with the camera, it almost feels like there should be 
somebody should invent a camera that just on a hardware level does not record faces like that would probably be it's hard it's like even impossible to think about but if somebody can create something like that that will be a, a, a like a billion dollar opportunity right away right there i think i think i think it's true i think it's a great idea but also the thing is when a person goes down the street and sees a camera pointing at him yeah. or pointing at his or her backyard mm. um try to explain to them <laughs> That the it's actually on the hard hardware level doesn't capture their face mm-hmm. and see what their reaction is going to be. So that's why I'm saying a lot of education needs to happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is like, what are some of the most audacious examples of cities you becoming like smart, like using technology to combat some of their local problems? Not necessarily in San Diego, but like across the nation in the U.S. or even globally. That uh, you're in this space, you obviously heard of some really cool crazy examples i thought it'd be a good idea to share some of them with our audience to inspire to inspire of what is possible you know i would actually take take a bit of a contrarian stance mm-hmm. here sure and i say it's not the crazy out there applications that uh will make a difference mm-hmm. it's maybe less about creating some, you know, crazy out there technology. It's more about connecting the dots with the things that that are there and helping improve processes. You know, some of the very successful smart city companies like OpenGov, for example. Um, OpenGov developed the financial reporting tools for cities. All they did is just to help them analyze, well, actually help them share financial data in a consistent manner between departments. There, I think they're in a thousand cities worldwide. And um, so, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, don't do, like, sophisticated technology. It actually does require quite a bit of um, uh, analytical capabilities and, and writing, writing algorithms um, and whatnot. And in a lot of cases... It requires um, understanding of uh, um, you know really sophisticated stuff like, for example, digitization of data. Right? It can be a very manual, labor-intensive task, or it can be totally automated task. If you can do the automatic document tagging and automatic document type recognition. You can save a ton of money and, and time, and this can be a multi-billion-dollar opportunity. Um, I mean, there are companies already doing this, in all fairness, right? But not necessarily for cities, or not necessarily for for certain applications. But what I'm trying to say, there's a ton of opportunities where you help cities do what they're already doing, just doing a lot faster, a lot of better, like. Think about the permitting process. Sometimes you need to wait for months to get a permit. Uh, can you reduce this down to hours using machine learning where you would uh, automate a lot of these tasks? Or inspections. Can you make sure that you don't need to have like a physical inspector go inside and inspect it because maybe using cameras or maybe using something else? Um, 
that can save a ton of time and money. There, there's a lot of huge opportunities. So I would say the biggest opportunities that we are already seeing and are going to see in the next two years are not necessarily because of some crazy cutting edge uh, technology. It's because of solving some very, very real problems uh, by connecting the dots, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, totally makes sense. That's a very valid point. Um, what about RPA? Do you see cities starting to use robotic process automation? Because we're seeing that a lot in corporations. A lot of consulting firms are actually switching to predominantly doing RPA because uh, I think it's like the next five years, RPA is predicted to disrupt 9% of the global workforce, like 230 million jobs. Uh, are cities embracing RPA or, no, or not yet? What are you saying? Well, with the cities, I mean, you have several issues, right? You have uh, uh, unions in some cases, and you have a lot of concerns about for people losing jobs, and so you have to be sensitive of that. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's definitely huge potential. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you need to be very careful in the way you uh, present that and make the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that case needs to be that you're not trying to uh, get rid of a lot, of a lot of city employees. You want to free up their time to do more meaningful things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is, uh, as with cities, is how you tell the story is almost as important as what solution you're providing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well. Uh, this is this has been a crazy ride. We're just running short on time. I'm sure we could like keep talking for for ages. Um, what would your like? What would your recommendation be for those who you know have been listening to this episode and are quite excited about the opportunities that smart cities present? And maybe they're not ready to go out there and start a startup of their own and uh, offer pitch their services to cities, but they want to eventually be prepared for maybe one day joining a company that works in smart cities or joining a city. Like I'm sure San Diego is probably starting to hire or already hiring a data scientists. What, what are some of the, I don't know, like inspirations that you can share or recommendations for further education and things to look into for the future? Well, if they are somewhere close enough to San Diego, they should definitely check us out, which is scale, scale San Diego or scalesd.com mm-hmm. and um, come meet with us, talk to us, and, and we'll be happy to see what kind of projects that might be of interest. We're always looking for, for people willing to work on projects. Um, outside of the wide world, I think other cities might have somewhat similar initiatives that we have, maybe a little bit different the way we do them. But I think every city has, every city recognized the need of kind of what we do, bridging the gap between urban challenges and technology. And they have different organizations. Um, City Digital in Chicago is one example. I mean, almost every city has something like that. And I think it's good to reach out to those um, and, and, and talk to them. But ultimately... Um, it's good to think about some of the problems that you're trying to solve in your community, some that you've experienced yourself. And maybe it's been your frustration with going and getting a driver's license or, you know, or, or anything else. And think about how would you solve the problem using data science? And then you can look up, okay, what data is available? Can you build a prototype? Okay, look at the open data portal. 
of your city, look what data sets do you have available? Can you start doing something with them? And then go uh, reach out to either the cities or reach out to some of the companies that are doing smart city solutions. And there's a high chance that you will have an interesting conversation as the starter. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. I love that. Uh, start building a portfolio of projects based on based off of that uh, data that cities provide available, uh, make available uh, publicly. Uh, Daniel, uh, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. Like amazing episode. Loved, loved diving into this podcast. Um, I would like to, I'd love to stay in touch personally. And of course, uh, for our listeners, what are some of the best ways to get in touch? Uh, you mentioned scalesd.com. What are some of the other ways that uh, people can get in touch for your career or maybe even um, ask you about some uh, projects that you're working on? They can definitely shoot me an email or do at scalesd.com or find me on LinkedIn and connect to me on LinkedIn, which is, I think, is uh, LinkedIn slash Daniel O. Yeah, very simple. LinkedIn slash Daniel O. Um, and of course, uh, scalesd.com and um, the uh, silent, silentintelligence.com as well. All right. Um, on that note, one more question actually for you. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners um, to help them with their careers or lives? You know, it's interesting uh, because <laughs> what I'm going to say is also kind of not maybe a little bit contrarian. So I've been reading um, The Prince by Machiavelli, which is obviously the book that is hundreds of years old, but it actually addresses a lot that might explain of the political landscape that we're seeing right now. And a lot of, a lot of concerns that, that people might have, I'm not going, <laughs> going to go into any more detail than that, but just to say it's a book that was written hundreds of years ago um, in Italy by somebody who analyzed a lot of countries, a lot of empires, a lot of governments, or a lot of rulers, and came up with a whole set of recommendations, so to say, which can be, like said, a little bit questionable ethically, to put it mildly, but it's also it's a still a very important book to read to understand, maybe to understand a lot of things that are going on. Mm -hmm. Like what thing? Um, how... Uh, certain leaders of certain countries, also some of the elected officials that we have here, maybe making their decisions and how they're doing certain things. And one of the things that probably was, uh, that hit me really, I thought, is it really possible that in the 21st century we can run, run countries the same way we did 1,000 or 2,000 years ago? This cannot be possible, and yet, Sometimes after reading Machiavelli appears, hmm, it actually is possible. Yes. I'm not necessarily sure it's a good thing, but that's my conclusion. Okay. So kind of like it helps understand the risks or the things to look out for. And as they say, history repeats itself. So why not see the, the negatives that can happen? Yes. Well, at least that's the, that's the book that I've been reading right now. Gotcha. Okay, so there you go. The Prince by Machiavelli to stay alert. And probably helps with those privacy issues as well that we we're talking about here. 
All right, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show today, sharing your insights and uh, knowledge. I really wish San Diego to become the smartest city um, it can possibly be. And uh, yeah, I'll chat to you sometime soon. Thanks, Kirill. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being part of the show today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I personally learned so much about smart cities from today's chat with Daniel. Uh, my favorite part, like I liked everything, but my favorite part probably from like, the curiosity perspective and from the inspiration perspective is the concept of digital twins for smart cities. I think that's something that is gonna happen. It's on the horizon, it's probably gonna take a couple of years, but eventually more and more cities will actually have their digital twins where you can join in as a, like an app developer for a phone you can join in and plug in your solution and see how it would work in that city. How would your solution to traffic or parking or document digitization or food or homelessness, how would your solution impact the city? I think that's very exciting. That's something to look forward to and that gets me excited about the space of smart cities. As usual, you can get all the show notes for this episode at superdatascience.com slash 311. That's superdatascience.com slash 311. There you'll find the transcript for this episode, any materials that we mentioned on the show, plus all of the URLs where you can find Daniel and connect with him. Uh, if you are part of San Diego or you're near San Diego, then make sure to check out Scale SD. As Daniel mentioned, they're always looking for talent for people who are interested and passionate about the space. And on the other hand, if you're a corporation looking for some sort of help with your technological transformation processes, then make sure to check out silentintelligence.com. And one final call to action, if you know anybody who's interested in smart cities or who might be interested in smart cities, or maybe someone who lives in San Diego, send them this episode, spread the love and share the knowledge. The episode is very easy to share. Just send them the link, superdaysense.com slash 311. And on that note, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time and I can't wait to see you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>